Welcome for Outlander Season 1, Episode 14, The Search. I'm Don Bitters. And I'm Nick Stone. And this is Gala Guys, an Outlander podcast where we watch Outlander, drink scotch, and let you know our terribly uninformed opinions about both. So this is Episode 14. The Search. The Search. <laughs> Because what I have written down, unfortunately, is episode 14, Scary Puppets Explosion, which is how this episode <laughs> That's starts. That's true. Yeah, because that is, it's not actually the episode title, but it should be. No, no, but it's the, the subtext to the title because it's what's happening underneath it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure exactly what the message is of that. Yeah, I think the message is to, to, you're in for something different. To be clear to those who are just listening to us and not watching the show, which what are you doing wrong? The title is over a couple puppets like a, a female puppet being it's like, two two female puppets no, 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 that they're, are mermaids they're and mermaids? then a male I puppet demons. i thought they were mermaids i'm so it's confused. very unclear yeah there's a lot of different opinions here my fiance katie is shaking her head that we're wrong in the background here about all these things. Welcome back to Puppet Talk with uh, Nick Stone and Don Bears. Mm-hmm. This is the important part of the episode. Anyway, there are puppets. One of them explodes. <laughs> that's, that's very true and uh, very pertinent. Uh, so we go from puppet murder to what I call baby and badassery. Jamie's been taken. He's gone. Redcoat's got him. They don't know where he's at. He's officially a damsel in distress. Yes, which he's been unofficially before, but now he's full-blown damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Essentially, Claire wants to go after him and is going to go alone because the only man around, uh, Ian, I believe his name is, uh, is injured, heavily injured, and never had a leg to begin with. And so Claire is like, I'm going to go after him. I'm going to figure this out. And of all people, Jenny shows up and is... I. This whole episode just makes me want to see more episodes with just Jenny. Right. Like, if you remember action figures in the 1990s, this version of Jenny would be like commando jenny where she comes with like a bandolier with like two (laughs) sets of bullets across her and like a bazooka but the you know scottish 18th century version of that is she has two flintlock pistols in her belt line the the saturday morning cartoon of outlander is just jenny shooting redcoats yeah and she sort of just runs outside and has what i find to be maybe the most charming part of the episode where claire's on horseback Jenny hops on her horse, and Claire is, like, thinking deep thoughts about the situation. And Jenny is basically like, snap out of your internal monologue, woman. We don't have time for that. Yeah. And off they ride. I will say that I do love the way they introduce her entrance in the scene is they have, like, a close-up shot of the gun on her back. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, she's got a gun. Okay, great. And then the next shot you see of her is she's got another gun on the front. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I came prepared. Well, she's got two hands, doesn't she? Come on. So we then jump into our first montage of the episode. Yes, we will call this Montage One. Or The Search. (laughs) Correct. Which is basically just them getting to the site where they were ambushed. Right. We see Jenny very skillfully tracking her way to the area where... She's she's the Aragon of this universe. Yes. Actually, what I'd like to... So we... We get to the ambush site where all the men were killed and Jamie was taken. And they actually do a small thing with Jenny that I really liked as a character thing of her basically just praying over each one of the bodies. Even these are guys that mm. she really didn't like and had no respect for, but she kind of observes just this basic 
human or like I guess you could say religious but for the people living in that time it was considered a basic human kind of like right that you had to perform right literally their last rites yeah. so they had any chance at all of making it into heaven which which I, what I also liked about that is for so much of this episode whenever we see her she's basically just like a I don't give a crap this is like a nice contrast for that mm. versus kind of the almost unreal character that she becomes for the rest of this episode right then we okay so they 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 see all these bodies none of them are Jamie mm-hmm. or anyone they're really looking for and so they ride off trying they're following more tracks they're, they're about to do another montage they're about to do another montage but they have to stop because Jenny says she's about to burst and so Claire also jumps off her horse and gets ready to go to the bathroom <laughs> I love the, yeah the contrast there which we assumed is what Jenny was talking about but no Jenny's just given birth so we cut over to her and she's pumping breast milk into a cup by pumping it's like very much 14th century pumping right of just like get it all out and moving on right yeah I, I, I thought this was this was sort of an interesting commentary in and of itself because there's you know something of a debate about women breastfeeding in public mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and this whole scene is like it's just like lit beautifully yeah. and Jenny just looks like the noblest person on earth and like is isn't even vaguely trying to cover herself no, up no. she's like this just has to happen this is a bodily function she just doesn't give a give a crap yeah like, exactly it, that, and that is her in a nutshell for this episode of she doesn't give a crap about what anyone else thinks mm-hmm. like she could be doing that like walking down the street in terms of the mentality of how they present her in this scene. Right. Just because, like, that is who she is here. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I, maybe I need to go back and look at the previous episodes to see if she, I know she's had a thread of this, but this feels like such a huge step mm. into this, like, very... I, I, some, uh, was it you or Katie that mentioned that this almost felt like... Outlander fanfic. Oh, that was definitely Katie. This okay. this is sort of the first inkling in this episode of what what Katie was mentioning, where this whole episode almost feels like someone let the like whatever is the biggest Outlander forum write one episode <laughs> by committee. Yeah, and so it starts off and it's like Commando Jenny and Badass Claire, like yeah, romping through the woods, you know. Which taking names. <laughs> I will say, having gone through the rest of the episode and seeing where it ends, I would love if Jenny had actually stayed right. the entire episode to see how, like, I know maybe it's not the book or whatever, but where we end up at the end of the episode would be so much better with Jenny involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely it definitely takes some turns. But so here, uh, Jenny and Claire catch up with the uh, Redcoat Squadron, uh, and Jamie's nowhere to be seen mm. in this group. And they talk about, like, did he escape? Is he, like, ready, getting ready to, like, fight them or something? And Has have, he been murdered because yeah. he's stubborn? And Well, yeah. and they point out, it's like, even Jenny's like, Jamie's not daft enough to fight ten soldiers. And there's a moment where they share a look, and it's just like a, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I hope he's not daft enough. Definitely a possibility. And so here we have our first... Uh, cinematic foray into a Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, are you talking about the... Okay, so Jenny comes up with the very, like, elaborate plan of capturing one of the Redcoats by dropping on the ground in front of him as he's on horseback. Right. And if she had mistimed that being horribly trampled to death. Yeah. this She had a lot of faith 
you know, there's a little bit of a suspension of disbelief about the closeness of the the faint drop to the front of the horse there. But yeah. like, yeah, they, they see a messenger. Yeah. Insurance claims back in like the 14th century were a real bitch. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no good. But yeah, she stops this messenger who they see riding off alone in order yeah. to get information about this and then basically hold him at gunpoint and then, uh, heat up the ramrod of a musket yeah. in order to, uh, burn the guy's feet to try well, and torture that, information so, out so of that's him. That's not even giving good conscience to the fact that like this entire scene is this amazing, like almost maybe intentional, maybe unintentional good cop, bad cop, because it's Jenny basically going full commando hardcore of like, I'm going to burn your goddamn feet off. And Claire's like, I can't stop her. You got to tell us what we need to know. Right. And it's just like, this, like okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's pretty, yeah, pretty formulaic, a good cop, bad cop kind of thing. But, you know. But it's, coming from characters that you didn't expect it to, or a show you, you expected to see that in. Right. It does have the underlying subtext of being like, torture is bad and does not work. Because the only way they actually find out any information is Claire's like, wait, he's a messenger. Let's look in his bag yeah. <laughs> for any messages. And then they find out by breaking the seal and condemning themselves to death under English law that uh, Jamie was I don't uh, know. I think has also, escaped. Also, torturing him with a hot poker is definitely going to slip into that territory. Oh yeah, but I mean, I feel like in this particular era, that would somehow be a lesser crime than That's like true, true. than like intercepting Crown correspondence yeah. or something. So yeah. Um, and also it was pointed out to us like an interesting discrepancy that uh, the term so at one point the red coat calls them sluts that mm. that term actually did not mean that at the time mm. like the idea our modern sense of that word meaning a sexually loose woman did not actually mean that it meant a like a low standing male I believe she said something, yeah something along those lines that started out as something for a slovenly male and became a low-class woman, oh, okay. and yeah. then eventually came to mean uh, a woman of loose morals. Yeah, but uh, that at this period of time, it probably did not mean that. So, a little little anachronism here. We got gotcha. you. We got gotcha, you, Outlander. That's the only thing that doesn't make sense in this time-traveling wizard show. <laughs> Man, they really should have done their history lessons. They should have talked to Jack Randall. Yeah, if only there were. Little, if no, only no, there Jack were more Frank history. Randall. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, if only there were more history in this show, someone said aloud. Yeah. So Claire and Jenny, basically before they are forced to essentially kill this red coat, and Claire particularly would have to deal with the fact that, like, no, no, they intercept this guy, and now he has to die because he knows too much. Uh, fortunately, they're spared by the surprise arrival of Murtaugh. Right, yes, who makes quite an introduction by announcing himself via the gurgled, the gurgled screams of the red coat yeah. as he slashes his throat. So they find out from the letter that Jamie is likely hiding in the north, that he had escaped. Mm-hmm. And because this letter will never reach where it needs to go, no one will go looking for him. Right. So Murtaugh basically gets rid of their problem mm-hmm. and has revealed that he's been tracking them. And we get to the scene that's kind of nice human moment for Claire of Jenny pointing out that, you know, she will do a lot for love. Like she loves her brother. She will kill for her brother. And there's this moment that I think they could have done, actually done a lot more with of Claire realizing that she would have to kill for Jamie. Mm. And that if, if Murtaugh hadn't shown up at that point, she would have to have been the one to kill the red coat mm. in order to protect themselves. So they could find Jamie. Right. 
And I think it's just, it is an interesting idea of tackling that because it's a show that we see Jamie kill people left and right. We see Murtaugh kill people. We see all these characters kill people, yet we really haven't seen that from Claire Mm. in any sort of direct way. So I think it's interesting to face that idea of like, no, 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 this is the world you live in. Life and death. And if you want to protect those that you love, you will have to make sacrifices, even based on the morality you have from the 20th century. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an interesting idea that I kind of wish they had dived further into. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see them doing that. I feel like this episode was kind of packed to the gills already. I agree, yeah. That, well, she may have killed before, that was in self-defense versus killing to protect those that she loves. Right, yeah. And it's something that I do think is an interesting approach and an interesting thing to tackle from a very, like, even, you know, 20th century, very more modern perspective of things like that, especially someone who's gone through war and been a healer in a war mm-hmm. versus someone who actively has to take a life to yeah. do to protect those that they love, which is not something that I you know you know hopefully most people ever have to deal with, but it is a reality, right? And it, even more so at this time. Yeah, it's kind of a microcosm of that the concept of war that Claire's had to deal with, where mm-hmm. before she's been kind of the you know mo- most contradictory figure of a healer in a war. Yeah. You know, she's also like basically someone who's taking orders and these things, and now she's faced with the idea of like choosing to kill a person for a cause that is greater yeah even though she's not actually under immediate threat of physical harm Mm -hmm. which is you know a difficult to deal with concept for anyone but she's this is the reality of her which i think again that there is kind of a missed opportunity that if there had been an ability to follow through with that as a through line because we're seeing like they find these dead men that are being basically given last rights to her being faced with the idea of having to kill and if there had maybe been an escalation or evolution of that Mm storyline I think that could have been an interesting route to take this episode however now that Murtaugh has arrived Jenny decides to go back because she has you know a baby she has a newborn baby who's gonna starve to death basically yeah Yeah. and Claire in the first of what is starting to become a cascade of left turns in this episode does warn Jenny not only of incoming famine but war and tells her to plant potatoes. Right. Instead so, of the, the wheat, which will be blighted in the yeah, coming years. Yeah. Which is amazing. So essentially Claire is introducing like the, the potato as a staple crop. <laughs> to the highlands. Potatoes. Right. Yeah. Because Jenny mentions that like, you can find them in Edinburgh, but no, no closer. She has to send for them. Like yeah. it's not really a thing they're eating, but yeah. But uh, Jenny lets on that that Jamie has told her that if Claire tells you to do something weird, <laughs> just trust her. <laughs> so they don't really get into the time travel thing, but there's like the wink and nod to something greater than oh, just yeah, the storyline yeah. afoot. Yeah. So then we get to the real left turn of the episode, which is Murtaugh's big plan in order to attract Jamie out of hiding. Which is a song and dance. <laughs> right. Yeah, they basically well, they, okay, they before, hit the road. Before, you know? yeah, before we get to the, the, the them getting their feet, uh, or finding their footing, I should say, uh, we have them essentially open mic night. 
Right. Yeah, they they do this sort of like a star is born routine where yeah. you see this like early version of their attempts to get people's attention and Claire is tell uh, reading palms but she's just reading it the same yeah. way her own palm was read. As Murta is like doing the angriest dance. Right. You've ever seen. As we ultimately find out that he's he's dancing so angrily because his audience is not appreciating him as pearls before swine. Yeah. But he is the grumpiest looking Scottish dancer I've ever seen. Uh, and Claire is not making much headway either as a uh, fortune teller. And healer. Which and we, healer, yeah. Which we find like immediately the way they show that she's being a healer is not like oh, I, I helped cure an illness or something. It's removing, like, the most obvious, like, enormous splinter from a hand. Right. It's like the size of a ruler. It was one of those things where you're like, you know, I'm not trained in medicine, but I think I know to take a splinter out. Yeah. They're healing and wheeling, putting on a big show. Putting on the big show. And Murtaugh's dancing is not being appreciated. The it's healing not getting any better either. It's not it's not really improving and, and you know, Claire's healing's not really getting the attention. So she has the brilliant idea that he needs to have something with a real beat behind it. Yeah, some razzmatage. Something like the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy <laughs> from Company B, which I'm guessing is pretty much the only song that Claire would know that they thought modern audiences would know. It's the well. only song that Frank knew, and he would tell it, sing it to her, and like, and expound on every single line's origin. Right. Yeah. And so she sings this thing, and then we, Murtaugh. This get, kind of gives Murtaugh the idea that she needs to sing a song, but a, a song that Jamie would know yeah. that has significant meaning. And so there's a a shockingly similar Scottish song that even has like. The, the word boogie in it. No, no, I feel like she added that. that that's the thing is I feel like they oh, took okay. the, the the line from the other song, but then they altered it to her rhythm so it could be like some upbeat. Okay, because yeah. I was, I was kind of confused by that part because I'm like, some of these words are similar to the boogie woogie bugle boy and the tune's kind of the same, but they're talking about Aberdeen and these other words. So at first I thought they had just like, Adapted the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, but then Murtaugh's like, "No, he knows this song." It's real, and so I'm like, "Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know what people know." Okay, <laughs> she's singing this song, and she's dressing as a man, yeah. and she gets a woodcut of herself. She's very famous as the Sassanac, yeah. the world's greatest song and dance lady man. Yeah, she's at open mic night in the Highlands, and they're like an immediate hit. Like they are like top of the charts right with with a very interesting opening version where she goes on stage for the first time in this sort of drag king outfit and starts singing this song while Murtaugh is having the audience clap along but and I don't know if this is intentional or a quirk of the editing process but her singing and the clapping are completely unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm forced to conclude that the Sassanac is rhythm deaf and has no sense of beat. And they're doing it at bars, which, you know, of course, is going to make it very, very easy for anyone to follow along. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You're, you may be onto something with that for sure. But this leads into our second montage. Yes, but I will point out that they, they do not, they are not subtle about the fact that there is a mysterious black haired man watching them at every single one of their shows that like I think they're trying to plant the seed of like oh this guy may know something about Jamie which we find out very soon is definitely not the case right I mean they could have been planting the seed for anything like if this were a more modern version of this star is born tale he would be like a major record producer who's about (laughs) to like sign her to Capitol Records or something 
But, but it's never treated to a montage of the boogie woogie taking over the highlands. Right. This the, and as as you pointed out, Don, this would have been a perfect spot for the sheep jazz <laughs> that we had in an earlier episode. But uh, we we'll have to. Someone is going to have to recut it that way. I I would. That would be great if I could ask our many fans to get on that and send it to us at uh, GaelicGuys at hotmail.yahoo.com. And we're talking to our our number one fan, Manny. Manny, thank you. Our Manny fans. Our Manny fans. So we get get this montage. They're traveling around. They're doing this thing. And then Murtaugh is finally like, look, I don't think we need to keep doing this. But, oh, because they, of course, run into the copycat act. Yeah, which is the gypsies have decided that that's a good song. I think we'll take it. Right. And perform it way better yeah. than Claire ever did. <laughs> because they've heard this song before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it turns out this man with the long black hair is is a gypsy performer himself who recruits a woman to dress in drag and sing this song and bills her as the Sassanac, which, yeah. you know, now is a hit act so he can take advantage of this monetarily. You might say it's the Assassin Act. It's the hit sequel to Sister Act. Weirdly enough, Whoopi Goldberg is not in this episode. But at this point, Murtaugh's saying, you know, Jamie won't be able to tell which of these versions of the show is the real one, so it doesn't make sense for us to keep going. Why don't you go home and I'll follow them and he'll go to them and there'll still just be one version of the Assassin Act and you don't have to be out here. Mm-hmm. And Claire who is now drunk on her own fame, yeah. will not give up the stage, basically. And we go into our third montage, which is the second Boogie Woogie montage. Right. I referred to this in my notes as Montage 3. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like, I don't. I think two is maybe the maximum number of montages you should have in a given show. So we get, we get to the end of this montage and... Which I, I do really quickly want to mm. point out, like, how long have they been at this? Because it's really unclear on the time span that has passed from the beginning of this episode to this point in our episode. Right. Because you would think, like, for, in order for word of mouth of a traveling act to become any kind of famous thing for someone to mm-hmm. hear about, it would have to be many weeks in this era. You know, I mean, yeah. they're traveling town to town, but I mean, you know, word travels pretty slow at this time. I mean, in Scotland, while it's not that big. If the era they're in is also enormous. Right. It's it's big enough that at the beginning of the episode when Claire and Jenny like intercept the courier, they're like, they will literally never hear this news if we stop yeah, this exactly. one person from traveling. <laughs> so it's like presumably you'd have to have a lot of people talking about a thing for this news to travel. Exactly. Anytime. And they're hitting like every single town. And then earlier they mentioned she mentions in the wonderful voiceover that they're going as slow as possible. Right, because they want to be in a predictable place for so Jamie which, to find. Which kind of leads me to this thing of like, well, one, how long has Jamie been hiding? Right. Two, how long were they willing to, like, has it been months? Because that's what it feels like they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Like, not weeks, but months at this. Yeah, and they go, they go on long enough that they're clearly somewhere on the western coast of scotland yeah. and murtaugh says after this third montage like oh if you look hard enough you'll see the americas that's the only place you haven't sung that damn song <laughs> you know and so they're they've kind of come to the end of their their wits it's like what what are they gonna do and so they camp out on a beautiful starlit beach and we get a 
a kind a, a kind of tale of woe from Murtaugh. Yeah, because Claire sets up basically telling Murtaugh that he doesn't understand why she's so persistent, that he's never lost someone that he loved like she has. Right. This is like one of those TV tropes. Like if you ever say to a person, you don't understand, yeah, and yeah. you've never lost someone like this, they'll be like, I, but I have. <laughs> And then tell you a very sad story. Like a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> and so we find out that Murtaugh was in love with a woman, and this, this saucy lass, and he was pursuing her, but she had another suitor. And so he tried to become the kind of man who would impress her, and he yeah. went and killed a wounded boar single-handedly with just a dagger. And the, the chieftain gives him the tusks of the boar, and then he ends up using those tusks to make bracelets as a wedding present for his would-be bride. As we find out, and we've seen before, these bracelets belong to Jamie and Jenny's mother. What? And so that's the, you know, lost love of Murtaugh's life. So Murtaugh considers Jamie very much a son to him. Which is super weird because that's not the vibe we've ever had from them. Right. This feels like a little bit of a retcon of their relationship (laughs) where they've been like best buddies. And getting into the fanfic right yeah it feels very much like someone like who hasn't been in the writer's room for the show or the writer of the novel and just be like wait what if you know (laughs) it's like okay that's different yeah i was thinking you're more his cool uncle yeah no i definitely got the like the weird like we've been bff since we were like 12 i mean i definitely interpreted murtaugh as older but not so much yeah, yeah I didn't I didn't like really didn't, wouldn't have pegged that age difference but of to, course to be fair we also established early in this podcast that or early in this night that like if you're a 13 year old you're basically an adult right and we know I mean uh, just a realistic thing that I think we've talked about on the podcast before is that Sam Hewen is supposed to be playing a Jamie who is younger than the actor himself because yeah, of the like big time he's supposed to be 23 right he's actually like 34 because over the course of these novels they age considerably and yeah. so you kind of they aimed for the middle and so in this first <laughs> season the actors are older than their characters by a fair margin and yeah. so maybe you could believe that if Jamie were really 22 that makes who more sense who knows what people how people age back then we don't know we're not magic people who can travel through time we, yeah at some point we find out that Jamie's been recaptured and someone uh, Dougal lets us know that one of the Redcoats recognizes him which in this era i feel like is basically impossible where like <laughs> okay, i fair point fair like point. i did i yeah. i didn't doubt happened you know and that they were you know maybe better at listing and identifying specific features that would make someone identifiable but it's like the idea that mm-hmm. if like you were a fugitive and like redcoats came up to you and they're like are you don bitters and you're like no, <laughs> like what would they? What would they do? Well, we have seen wanted posters for Jamie, right? So yeah. after we find out that Murtaugh loves Jamie and Jenny's parents, they're going to a tavern and they're not doing their song and dance routine. But Claire seems to be back to her fortune telling thing. Yeah, and uh, the long black haired gypsy reappears. The record producer. Yes, Claire had given all their money essentially. To the gypsy to tell them, don't sing that song. We need to sing that song because it's actually a beacon for my love. As Murtaugh predicted back when they did, you know, pay off this guy. He's like, that's a bad idea. He's just going to go keep singing that song. And Claire's like, you know, you got to take a chance. But because, because of her faith in him, at least, this guy comes back when someone has sent word to the woman singing this song that, you know, 
I'm your, you know, long lost husband, meet me yeah. here. And he does come through. This is the gypsy redemption I have listed here <laughs> where he, you know, lets Claire know where she should be yeah. to, you know, rendezvous with Jamie. Yeah. Claire and Murtaugh go there and they build it up with Claire. Like, she's so excited. She's about to re- be reunited with Jamie. And it's Dougal. Oh, it's Dougal, and he's doing that creepy thing where he's facing away, and he has to, like, turn and look over his shoulder. He's practiced that way too many times in the mirror. Right, yeah. Dougal lets Claire know that Jamie's alive, but he's been recaptured, and he's sentenced to die that day or the following day. Like, immediately. Yeah. There's almost no chance of him being rescued. And so he has a bit of a different proposal. And, and I write here, good proposal or best proposal? He's like... Your husband is about to die. Would you like to marry me instead so I could protect you? And it's just the sleaziest thing. I wrote Google trying to get into her pants or bustle. Hustling for that bustle. (laughs) So this long back and forth, which, you know, Claire drops Galus on him. Like, and he's like, don't you dare talk about her. And, but he clearly just dropped her like a hot rock right because it's like as claire kind of figures out that oh if she marries dougal he'll be in control of the fraser lands so this is the by the way this is the third movie of this episode so far first we had like commando jenny (laughs) on the rampage then we had claire and murtaugh broadway stars Mm -hmm. and now we have uh, Michael Clayton <laughs> starring yeah. Dougal like some political intrigue drama with murky hidden agendas and these sorts yeah. of things which so we like, just basically described George Clooney's career Claire, Claire is, agrees that she will marry Dougal if they try to save Jamie Dougal says he's willing to do it he can't force his men to do it but he won't stop them if they volunteer so now it's up to Claire and Murtaugh to convince them right. so she goes and we're immediately seeing the Tweedles uh, the Tweedledum and the Tweedledee. Right. Like, basically, you're like, yeah, I like Jamie, but I don't like him that much. And this this appeal is, is mostly unheard by these men, except for young Willie. Young Willie. Fresh-faced. He's the only one without a beard. He doesn't have a hat like everybody else who appears to be playing he's, basically he's the free. same character. He's free. He's free, Willie. Yeah, that's pretty good. But uh, he immediately says, Jamie's been good to me. I'll join you. Immediately flips the switch on the Tweedles. Well, I think they feel a little outmanned in the bravery department here. By There's this. like eight other dudes there. Right. Who do not sign up. Yeah. Who look way more like fit for this kind of mission than any of these three. Right. But they were paid to be extras and so can't have lines. <laughs> but yeah, so these, these three volunteer to go and they ride up to this castle, this fort. I'm assuming is where they're holding Jamie. What's weird is so they, they play up the reveal of this castle so intentionally where they're like, first Willie comes up and is looking off at something impressive in the distance. Then the Tweedles come up. Then Claire. And it's a castle in the distance. Yeah, this is one of those things where I felt like the actors were told, don't worry. You're going to look at this thing, and then we'll cut to it, and it will be the most imposing castle. It will be clear that you cannot possibly surmount this with the forces you have, that you are totally outgunned. Did you see Lord of the Rings? You yeah. know Mordor? It's, Imagine Mordor times infinity. It's a Scottish Mordor times infinity. <laughs> so that's what you're going to see when we get the VFX in here. It's just going to be totally impermeable. So yeah, that is that is the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week, we are drinking Isle of Skye. 
blended Scotch whiskey aged eight years, they just list the heritage mm. of Clan McLeod. <laughs> yeah. I'm very happy to be able to say that. Yes. Which I will just have to say, I enjoyed this a lot. I would, uh, I would not say it's my favorite Scotch. It's kind of got a almost burnt caramel flavor well, to it. You I know? think uh, Katie, your fiance, had described it as drinking a campfire, and that is definitely, definitely true. But it's I, not but I like, like this campfire. No, it's good. It's it's not too um, your typical like peat flavor of like yeah. smokiness. It's like just a, it's a different kind of smoky, but very like high high caramel, almost sweet vanilla y. Uh, but yeah, no, I I actually really like this one. Definitely recommend it. Yeah. So that's our episode. As always, if you enjoy our rambling, edited into a wonderfully listenable podcast by our amazing editor, Meredith Lynn, please like and subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. That's the best way for us to spread the word about this podcast and get our inevitable millions and millions and millions of followers. Rate and review us on iTunes. And next episode, we follow Claire as she attempts an escape for Jamie that is hopefully much better than Jamie's standards of an escape attempt. But having, because we are a rewatch podcast, I will say this, that we're about to enter into some of the darkest episodes of this this season and maybe even the show that deal with some really heavy subject matter, which I'm really excited to talk about, Mm. but also stuff that is the reason why I'm we're even having this podcast. The reason why I think this show has such value. Right. I think maybe a a big reason for the amount of levity in this episode is that it is going to be so intense for the next couple. Yeah. Because this is a bit lighter fare, really, than a lot of yes. the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>